that we may see some movement toward a market mechanism. But we won't see any close to any of the radical solutions that is required. They won't even talking about degrowth uh, or the possibilities of uh, uh, tough regulation on on an international scale. Mm, So it's not looking too good. No, and we can see that also in who's supporting the the conference in itself, and and the and the French ministers were quite clear that they need the support of the fossil fuel to make the conference happen. Oh God, I didn't know that. <laughs> that that's terrible. <laughs> Completely put a kibosh on any hope I had. <laughs> Sorry, that's all right. I wasn't very hopeful anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Daniel. That's great. Let's finish up then. Thank you so much um, for making the time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. That was Daniel Nyberg. And let's go to an announcement. Hmm, that one's not working. This one. Reclaim Australia and the United Patriots Front are at it again. And they're still using Islamophobia to divide us. Next, they'll blame Unionists, First Nations people, women, LGBTIQA people, people of colour, the list goes on. They've organised another rally to promote their hate speech and we're going to stop them. Rally on Sunday, November 22nd to remind these thugs that they'll always lose in Melbourne. 11am outside Melton City Council, 232 High Street, Melton. For more information and to get details on the rally, text subscribe to 0422 726 843. The campaign against racism and fascism is a 3CR supporter. Workers United, never be defeated. Workers United, will overcome. People United will never be defeated either. Now, straight on to rank and file. Here we go is Marcus Harrington from the NUW. And this is episode for this Saturday. And on rank and file radio this morning, uh, the Victorian Secretary of the United Firefighters Union, Peter Marshall, joins me on the line. Welcome to 3CR, Peter. Good morning. How are you? And you're the Victorian leader of the United Firefighters Union and currently Victoria's firefighters, members of your union, are in the midst of a drawn-out fight for better wages and conditions. There, yes, unfortunately, with Andrew's government, the Labor government, and uh, can I say that's extremely disappointment. So negotiations began with the former Liberal government and are still unresolved some more than two years later under the current Andrew's Labor government, as you've just mentioned. So aside from the wage increases, um, your members are seeking improved working conditions to an already dangerous occupation. Absolutely. Uh, Daniel Andrews promised firefighters so much, but most importantly, he promised 11 days before he became Premier, promised to respect and value the work they do. We've seen in the last couple of days an attempt to dirty up firefighters, to try and demonise them in the public arena by the Premier, uh, government, uh, some of his senior officials leaking documents to the Herald Sun that are just totally inaccurate and uh, are very much a historical document, uh, trying to uh, suggest to the public that firefighters are greedy. Now, that's one of the most disgraceful acts I've seen, uh, even coming out of a Conservative government, the previous Libs, for the Labor government to actually engage in that sort of behaviour, for they achieve their own self-end, can I say it's 
probably a very low point in time between uh, relations with the union uh, and uh, what's supposed to be a worker-friendly government. But most importantly, this EBA is not so much about wages. It's about safe systems of work. It's about clauses that allow firefighters to have a say uh, in the type of equipment they end up having to utilise when they're in life-threatening situations. For example, they perform high-angle rescue. Now, that could be a 60-storey building where they have to hang off the end of a rope uh, with various uh, equipment. Uh, they want to make sure that that equipment is not going to fail. Uh, and if fire services are allowed to uh, embark upon their own uh, course of procurement without having uh, a consultation process, uh, they will always do it on the cheap. So they're one of the, that's one of the clauses, example, that previously was agreed that this minister had confirmed, confirmed uh, in relation to a border reference, uh, in relation to a code of conduct uh, and other matters, uh, which are now being ripped off the table. Uh, and what we're seeing here is uh, the Andrews government trying to put up a smokescreen, uh, a, a very disingenuous one, to say this is all about money, and it's not. OK, on Thursday of this week, just two days ago, um, you, the bargaining representatives again met with the state government uh, to resume discussions. What was the Minister uh, Jane Garrett's response to the members of your union? Well, when you say the government, what they did was send a very uh, junior bureaucrat into Fair Work Australia, along with the employers, uh, some of the same representatives that you've seen uh, under the previous NAPFINE government, uh, you know, like... Uh, the Andrews government's good on spin, but very uh, little on substance, can I say. What they've done is try to refer this matter to Fair Work Australia so they can say it's not a matter that they have to worry about. It's uh, a matter between Fair Work Australia, the employer and the union. Uh, I can assure you, Daniel Andrews, it is not. Uh, and you have done uh, enormous damage to the morale of firefighters leaving into this fire season, uh, and that won't be forgotten. And the government's response and the stall and negotiations uh, must be a huge kick in the guts to your members, given all the campaigning work they've done on the ground um, to get the Andrews Labor government elected in last year's election and all a kick in the guts to all the union members in Victoria. Well, we're about to run some TV ads and uh, radio ads in the not-too-distant future uh, that show uh, very graphically uh, what Mr Andrews promised firefighters. Uh, leading up to the state election, just 11 days before he became Premier. He addressed over uh, 1,100 firefighters, probably uh, well over that, at Collingwood Town Hall. And he made this uh, impassioned speech about uh, how they had not been respected and how when he, uh, if he formed government, that he would respect and value their work. Uh, and he made this impassionate uh, speech to the firefighters about how he admires the uh, every time they go to sh uh, uh, perform their shift work, how they put their lives on the work, on the line, and how he would value that, his government would value that. I can tell you uh, their actions over the last week, and, I, and this document was leaked to the Herald Sun, uh, and they know it's not an accurate document, that's the Andrews government, by the Andrews government. Uh, you know, what sort of uh, so-called worker-friendly government does that sort of rubbish? Uh, but they'll pay dearly for that. OK, and uh, the Andrews government is making the issue, saying it's a, it's a money issue, making out the firefighters are uh, greedy, asking for more money. Uh, what, what are the government offering? Well, the government uh, have made a number of offers along the way, but what was agreed uh, not so long ago 
during negotiations that wages would be dealt with as a last item, along with allowances. What was more important was to resolve those critical clauses in the EBA to go to the very heart of a safe systems of work for firefighters. That is, that when a firefighter goes to work, uh, they come home safely. Uh, it is an extremely dangerous job. Uh, those safe systems of work, uh, that uh, those clauses in the EBA that were agreed, which now Andrew's government has unagreed, uh, go to the very heart of whether firefighters uh, will be safe. Can I say also, it comes as a bit of a shock to us the other day, you heard much uh, being made by the Minister, Minister Garrett uh, and uh, the Andrews government about the extra 450 firefighters that they say they're going to deliver. On well, Fair Work uh, Commission the other day, they now say that uh, they want to alter that time frame. Uh, in, in reality, what they're doing is they're uh, reneging on agreed positions. Most importantly, they've misled the public. And the employers were calling on uh, a number of clauses to be removed from the agreement, such as uh, consultation clauses. Employers have been doing that uh, ever since the Liberal government. And I can tell you at the moment there's very little difference between the Andrews government and the previous government when it comes to firefighters. Uh, to be attacked so viciously uh, by the Premier's uh, media and spin doctors is absolute disgrace. Uh, those consultation clauses are essential to ensuring, as I said, uh, they make the difference as to whether a firefighter uh, will uh, go to work and come home safe. Without having those consultation clauses that allow firefighters to have a say in the type of equipment, for example, road accident rescue. Uh, you know, the uh, equipment they use to cut people out of vehicles, unfortunate enough to be in a motor vehicle accident, uh, if that fails halfway through, it's not only uh, critically dangerous to the trapped person, but it's also critically dangerous to the firefighter. Uh, if they fire, uh, even in the uh, pumps on the uh, fire trucks, uh, if you allow, uh, in particular, the CFA got a history of buying cheap equipment, uh, uh, the reality is that in the middle of a firefight, the last thing you want is your water supply to be uh, cut off or alternatively the pump to fail. The same with breathing apparatus. Uh, you know, all these things are so important. Uh, you know, Daniel Andrews promised a lot. Uh, but uh, he has been now exposed for no more than political rhetoric uh, to firefighters uh, for the sake of uh, gaining office. And it's not the first time you've been disillusioned with the ALP, Peter. It was, if we can go back to 2002 when yourself and Dean Moyle quit the ALP and floated the idea of forming a new workers' party. I mean, is this something that could be back on the table? Oh, well, look, you know, you know election's three years away, but, uh, you know, payback's a beautiful thing. And... Um, uh, I think that, uh, uh, you know, Mr Andrews and the spin doctors at the moment may think they've had a, uh, a little bit of fun trying to dirty up firefighters, but uh, we've got long memories and uh, we'll remember going into the next election. Uh, but look, put all that aside, at the end of the day, what's most important is that your, your listeners understand that the 60% pay increase that Daniel Andrews and Jane Garrett are banding around is rubbish and they know it, and we'll be able to prove that in the most graphic way. Uh, and uh, then they'll be exposed for uh, the misleading comments they've actually given to the public. Uh, but can I say this? Um, firefighters do not deserve to be treated like this. This is a government that promised so much uh, and has delivered so little, uh, and in fact has uh, embarked upon the same sort of attack 
that they previously did under the Napfine government. You know, you mentioned about the ALP before with Dee Mile in 2002. Well, let me say my experience in 1999-2001 with the now Treasurer, Tim Pallas, uh, the, uh, then uh, Daniel Andrews was the Assistant Secretary of the ALP and the Brax government. Uh, you know, this has never been made public, but uh, certainly will be in the near future. Uh, their sort of duplicitous behaviour of making agreements for the sake of political expediency and then withdrawing them at the last moment, uh, you know, is breathtaking. Um, uh, you can see why people become disillusioned uh, with politicians. Branded on spin. And we could go on a weekend speaking about the uh, betrayal of Labor governments towards workers. Um, but the Andrews government ought to realise uh, the firefighters are the ones keeping all Victorians safe. So... Uh, thanks for joining us on Community Radio 3CR this morning, Peter. Well, listen, thanks for giving us the opportunity, but just one last comment. <clears throat> uh, the dirty-up that the attempt by uh, Daniel Andrews and Jane Garrett is the most disgraceful act uh, that we have seen uh, in a very long time, uh, and uh, it will be the public record will be corrected. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity. Thanks, Peter. That was Rangit Far Radio. <clears throat> with the Firefighters um, Union um, being interviewed by Marcus Harrington. Thank you, Marcus. A couple of announcements we, before we go on to Uncle Kevin Healy. In fact, I've got a fair few here. Um, a really interesting one that's coming up is a tour by George Mann. It's Labour anti-war singer, songwriter and folk musician returns to Australia to celebrate Joe Hill. It's called the Joy Hill Tour, Joy Hill 100 Tour. The website to go to to get details is all the W's, George Mann, double N, and that's one word, georgeman.org. Um, in Victoria, it's being held at Trade Hall, on like on Street, of course, on the 27th of November, 7 p.m., and also in... Um, the Bella Bar at 2 p.m. on the 28th of November, and that's at Trades Union Hall, Trade Union Hall at Melbourne as well. So there are two events at Trades Hall, one on the 27th, one on the 28th. So if you miss the one on the 27th at 7 p.m., it'll be on again at 2 p.m. at the um, bar at Trades Hall in Ligon Street. So if you're a trade unionist, if you love those old songs, don't miss it. We come to a very serious event here. The um, attack on the um, Kurdish community and the, well, and the people of uh, Turkey, uh, Turkish government being the aggressor, and ha- this has been going on for a long time. On the 15th and 16th of November, the G20 conference will be hosted by the Turkish government in Antalya. Meanwhile, the same government is engaged in indiscriminate slaughter of its own civilians. These attacks took place throughout the campaign for the recent elections and are continuing after it. All the targets are areas where there are high votes for the HDP. And you know very well that the um, HDP uh, won the uh, <clears throat> more than 10% of the votes in the recent Turkish elections on the 1st of November. Now, there is um, a protest being organized by the uh, community, and the email is Barris. 
bloku at gmail.com. I'll spell that for you. B-A-R-I-S-B-L-O-K-U at gmail.com. If you want to send um, communications to save lives, we need the security forces to seize operations against the civilian population and allow the members of parliament and independent national observers to access to these areas in Turkey. At, at least that's the... Um, Announcement has been released by the, Turkey, the Kurdish community in Melbourne. The People's Democratic Party of um, K- K- the Kurds, which is called HDPS, put out this call. So please visit www.mfagov.tr slash contact hyphen us dot en plus MFA. But you can also, of course, go to Facebook. And the Facebook is Barris B for Bucket, A-R-I-S-B-L-O-K-U, and get more details on that one. A few more announcements. Now, today there is a um, rally, uh, Early Childhood Educators March for Professional Pay. Of course, they've always been underpaid, and this campaign has been a very long time happening. The wages do not reflect the value of the work as per normal for many, many ones, and this one's particularly bad. The rally is at 11 a.m. at the State Library today in Swanson Street, of course, and there will also be a barbecue. So if you wish to rally for the early childhood educators, all those people who've got children, this is an opportunity to support the people who look after your children. So it's at 11 a.m. today at Swanson Street State Library. The other announcement is a bit of a sad one, really. Um, the whistle, Whistleblowers, Activists and Citizens Alliance, in short, WACA, have been attacked by the UPF, another one. After those fellas visited 3CI and the anarchist uh, bookshop in Northcote, they've, they've gone on to attack this group. They apparently physically attacked a woman who had a fractured cheekbone after the attack and was is in hospital recovering from that. Now, if you wish to support the campaign against the UPF, um, as announced before, on the 22nd of um, this month, which is this coming Saturday, today week, really, if you turn out by the Melbourne Melton Town Hall, there will be a rally um, to protest against the presence of UPF and, and its attempt to intimidate people around the Melbourne suburbs and also in Melbourne. One more announcement. The Western Sahara and oh, it's about, uh, the territory, yeah, that's what it's called, the territory of Western Sahara, the end of European rule gave way to a new occupation and this time it's by Morocco and it's been 40 years since this happened. So there is a solidarity event organized with the Saharan people. And this is what lessons does Sahrawi resistance offer for nonviolent movements around the world is the title of the um, campaign. It's actually a film. Life is Waiting, Referendum and Resistance in Western Sahara is the name of the film. It is being held at the Resistance Center. Level five five four zero seven Swanson Street. So all those people who are interested in any issues around the Western Saharan region, this is one not to be missed. Uh, it's twelve dollars solidarity and ten dollars full, five dollars concession. So that's on the eighteenth of November, 
Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. and there'll be a meal. Now, one other announcement is um, Sue Bolton, who's a councillor for Moreland City Council and has been there for a few years now. Uh, time for re-election, guys. And those who are interested in uh, council elections and, and issues and those who live or do not live in Moreland, uh, any support from you is appreciated by Sue Bolton. And she's standing as a member of Socialist Alliance. And that will be on the 21st of November at 2 p.m. The launch would be held at the Anatolian Cultural Centre, 195 Sydney Road, Coburg. So that is on the 21st of November. So Bolton, who is standing for re-election as a member of Socialist Alliance, the launch will be on the 21st at Anatolian Cultural Centre, 195 Sydney Road, Coburg. And that's at 2 p.m. All right. Um, just quickly, there's a film coming up. United, we will swim, and that's about a campaign in Scotland, Glasgow, about community action to fight to save their local swimming pool. It's uh, a David and Goliath type movie. Should be interesting. That's on the 17th of November at Trades Hall. At 6.30 p.m. So all those who are interested in this sort of campaign that we can learn probably, probably. It's good to have that education going. And one last but important um, announcement is the Eureka Stockade anniversary, 161 years. Wednesday, 25th of November at 6.30 p.m. That is at the... Eureka Hotel, corner of Victoria and Church Streets in Richmond at 6.30 p.m. Speakers, Greg Barnes, Terry Mason and Kevin Bracken. So 25th of November, I'm sure this will be re-announced again. So those for those who are interested, you can go to all the W's, spiritofeureka.org. Okay, time for Uncle Kevin. Here we go. And on rank and file radio this a weak solidarity, Bricky team listener, when the great debate about the need for the poor to pay more tax for the good of all of us continued to be pursued by those who know what's good for all of us, knowing that what's good for all of us necessitates diverting what little the penurious have into the public coffers so the filthy rich can be better off so we can all be better off impoverishing the impoverished is in the best interests of the impoverished. But then, why do they bother seeing they don't pay the crippling taxes they claim are not good for all of us anyway? Take transnational resource giant Chev Ruin the Environment, which on 1.7 billion profits paid a crippling $248 tax, point naught, 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 one four percent transferring the profit to its U.S. of the U.N. of the U.S. of the world base, where, due to technical difficulties, which must cause mass depression in the Chev Ruin the Environment boardroom, lands there as tax-free. So any wonder we have to increase the regressive tax that hits the impoverished to save the very not impoverished from such pain. 
on which Ministers Josh Fry de Workersburg and Andrew Rob the Poor lined up with some of the world's biggest good corporate citizens, including the Brazil-based world's biggest beef producer and the new owner of the Port of Darwin who wants to invest in northern Trubluwazi resources to ship through their new acquisition, to announce a $5 billion government fund to encourage these altruists to develop northern Trubluwazi. Seems they can't just rely on market forces. Well, again, $5 billion to entice the biggest companies in the world. Any wonder the poor must pay more tax. Thankfully, what they do pay won't be wasted on them. Then again, the Socialist Party is right up there in the deep-thinking department as it attacked Minister for Concentration Camp's razor wire and sink the boat's Peter Duffer, poor Pete, for his lack of compassion, well, perceived lack of compassion. Uh, so you treat these people with compassion, we asked spokesperson Richard Mulls, the refugees. Uh, certainly, th this is a cruel, heartless government. A socialist party, short and ambition government would work much harder to find a third country, like Papua New Guinea or Indonesia in other people's business, or, or Tasmania, for instance, to resettle these people, these no-proper-papers, illegal, queue-jumping people, uh, whom we so care about. On a similar front, the Socialist Deputy Big Supremo Tania Plibber Sink the Islands was quite properly critical of the government's slightly lukewarm commitments leading up to the Paris Climate Change Conference. So you'd take a much stronger stand, get, get stuck into the big polluters. What is your policy? I assure you, we will release our policy before the election after we have consulted the affected parties, the people, the polluters. This commitment was emphasised when great left socialist figures like Plibber Sink the Islands and Anthony All's Been Easy sprang to the pre-selection defence of embattled resources spokesperson Gary Gray Skies, telling us how the socialists couldn't afford to lose his unflinching support for uranium extraction and nuclear industry, coal seam gas, fracking and, and fracking everything in general. Related to that, Lord Rupert of Wapping Sin's usual suspect, lackey, hack, columnist, latest expose of threats to decent society, and he includes new big supremo Malcolm Tunner Bull among the threats, latest expose, activism is a four-letter word. Now, I could have sworn activism is an eight-letter word, but then again, idiot is a five-letter word. He also tells us the majority of true blue Aussies don't believe in climate change, reject the warmest arguments, and we can remember when the Socialist Party was accused of putting a ballot box in every cemetery. Those who don't believe in this warmest propaganda, there's no such thing as, nonetheless are obviously very careful, just in case. They, including the Lord Rupert Lackey, tell us the answer to the climate change they don't believe in is uranium, nuclear energy. No contradictions in their arguments. Yesterday, the Minister for Burying His Head in the Sand, Josh Fry de Planetberg, announced that calls for volunteers to bury their heads in the sand, host a nuclear waste dump, which at the time we said would generate a stampede of volunteers who just can't wait to have a nuclear waste dump in their backyards, had attracted all of 28 offers. Must say 28 more than I expected. Now reduced, he said, to a short list of six sites. Surely an obvious spoonerism. 
think he must have meant a sick list of short-sight Edness. If we had any doubts about just how evil the evil unions are, the very same Lord Rupert of Wapping Sin which told us activism is a four-letter word and no one believes in climate change other than a few brainwashed warmest fossils opposed to fossils, published not one but two deep philosophical analyses by two independent minds. Former economic guru under the little bald-headed bloke who used to be big supremo back in the last even darker ages, Peter Costa Workers L.O. Bosses, and former state-caring business class party big supremo, creator of mass depression, Jeff Footinmouth. Truly balanced journalism, objectivity at its best. And they pulled no punches telling us just how evil unions are. The evil, of course, is in those union officials who do give them ammunition. Unlike great responsible true blue Aussie corporations like BHP, which we've always thought stood for bloody huge profits, but now realise stands for bloody huge polluter. Not that the pollution has anything to do with it other than it owns the mine where the devastation has occurred and for goodness sake it said it's sorry and, and I'll bet it is. In one 18-par report in the, on the disaster in the True Blue Aussie Capitalist Review, paragraph 12 referred to the dead and the personal impacts, and the other 17 analysed the economic impact on shareholders, much more important, of course, than a few dead, injured and now homeless, poverty-stricken Brazilians. The disaster is economic, and how cruel. Talk about kicking poor old bloody huge polluter when it's down for the Environment Minister over there to dredge up a report going back seven years which suggested the tailings dam might just be a safety threat, claiming bloody huge profit, polluter and its partner vile, knew but did nothing about it, as if they'd put their bottom line interests ahead of the local people they've come to help. Well, it would have affected profits, which are good for all of us local people, so caring about the local people, they're worth one paragraph in 18. And look, they've really expressed their sorrow, as we said. We bet they are. Getting back to those evil warmest BHP deplores, that left-wing threat to the world economy, and the Lord Rupert usual suspect lackey would, I think, agree with this, left-wing threat, the World Bank, put out a report claiming climate change could push more than 100 million people into extreme poverty by 2030, disrupting agriculture and spreading disease. The impact of global warming is borne unevenly, with the world's poor woefully unprepared to deal with climate shocks such as rising seas or severe droughts. This new bolshy agit prop addition to warmest anthropogenic nonsense reported. The world's non-poor breathed a sigh of relief. Phew! They rubbed their hands greedily, uh, sorry, compassionately. In other words, it's business as usual. Yet that related commie threat to common sense, US of the UN of the US of the world, big supremo barack for change, 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 barracked for change, banned a Canadian US of tar sands pipeline, which the usual warmest fear-mongering suspects suggested might create a few environmental problems, but only at both ends and right along. 
Okay, so most of the reasons were based on US ARB economic interests, but there are two points of view there. The sensible Republicans who know there is no such thing as climate change have promised to review the decision if they win next year. But finally, one great US of good corporate citizen could probably explain how this happened. What colour is the big supremo, eh? App, app pulled the other one, looked knowingly, and to think we were considering paying at least some tax to this black thief. Because App pulled the other one knows that if you're black, you're obviously a thief. Well, back here, the technology giant, so dedicated to helping society, it feels that help is sufficient and it's unreasonable to expect it to pay tax on top of that, denied kicking half a dozen or so kids out of a store, telling them they were unwelcome and posed a security threat only there to steal. Well, App pulled the other one would be stunned to think that anyone would steal from anyone, particularly the public purse, denied kicking them out because they were black top marks to their secondary school principal for going back to the store with them and demanding an apology. And that they took it up with the principal shows how hurt, insulted, demeaned they were. We believe in equality for everyone. App pulled the other one, refused to be interviewed, but put out a statement, a brilliant rejoinder. Uh, so why were they thrown out? There's everyone and everyone. And these were the run-coloured everyone's. So this is one case where a black ban seems very appropriate and not racist. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, Uncle Kevin. Now, apologies for that um, glitch at the beginning of um, Kevin's um, contribution. Uh, my mistake. Apologies to listeners. Now, we're going to go to Humphrey in a minute, but I'm going to play a song that is requested that I play. It's titled Bump Me Into Parliament. Um, I think it was recorded in 1915 by Bill Casey, a member of the Industrial Workers of the World, who later became secretary of the Queensland branch of the Siemens Union of Australia. Here we go. Come listen, all kind friends of mine. I want to move a motion to make an Eldorado here. I've got a bonza notion. Bump me into Parliament. Bounce me any way at all Bang me into Parliament On next election day Some very wealthy friends I know Declare I am most clever While some can talk for an hour or so Why I can talk forever Bump me into Parliament Bounce me any way at all Bang me into Parliament On next election day I know the Arbitration Act is a sailor knows his riggins So if you want a small advance I'll talk to Justice Higgins Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any way at all Bang me into Parliament on next election day I've read me Bible ten times through and Jesus justifies me The man who does not vote for me, by Christ he crucifies me Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any way at all. Bang me into Parliament on next election day. Oh yes, I am a Labour man and believe in revolution. The quickest way to bring it on is talking constitution. Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any way at all. Bang me into Parliament on next election day. 
think the worker and the boss should keep their present stations. So I will surely pass a bill, industrial relations. So bump them into Parliament, bounce them any way at all. Bump them into Parliament, don't let the court decay. Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any way at all. Bang me into Parliament on next election. Good morning, Humphrey. Oh, good morning. <laughs> that there, was your request. There are, there, are some, <laughs> there are some eternal verities, aren't there? <laughs> and as you say, that's a centenary, that's 100 years ago. And the reason I ask you to play it, of course, is that on Thursday is the centenary of the murder of Joe Hill. Mm. And uh, George Mann, the American wobbly and folklorist and general tonic to the left, will be in Australia. He's performing in Canberra on the very day of the centenary of the murder. And there's a tour. He'll be in Geelong on Friday the 27th. Uh, and in the uh, Bellabar in the Trades Union Hall in Melbourne on the on today fortnight. That's right. At um, at seven o'clock. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, two o'clock. Two o'clock. Two. Uh, and they're also doing a one on the twenty seventh at seven p.m. Yep. So that's uh, good. So uh, my experience with George is you just you just come out knowing why you're in the struggle. Yes. It just makes you feel so much better. Like that song did, thank God for the wobblies. Yeah, that's fun. Now, however, today, today we're going back to our great theme, the other set of eternal verities, Marx's understanding of how the capitalist system worked. Mud pies, Mona Lisa and the wealth of nature, how does that come together? <laughs> oh, well, these, these are some of the lies that are told about Marx. And that's I will quickly run through three of them. Okay. Now, the first one about mud pies. I couldn't believe this. When some of my student comrades here told me what the, what the students were being taught at the Australian National University in economics, I thought, this has to be a joke. <laughs> what they were saying was that the lecturers were telling the students how ridiculous Marx was. What? Because of the labour theory of value. Now, there's a lot of attacks on the labour theory of value, some of them from people who called themselves Marxists, but we won't go into that. This version was that if value comes from labour, take the case of a child making mud pies in the backyard. They put their labour into the mud pie, and then the mud pie is supposed to have value. Well, you just laugh at that, and then you pass on. You don't have to pay any more attention. Marx is clearly a fool. Now... Some of the more sophisticated versions of the mud pie story go on to say, well, of course, they identify price and value, and therefore the mud pie doesn't have a price, therefore there's no value, therefore Marx is a fool. Now, one of the things we need to do with this story, I think, is to take it seriously at another level. Yes, it's true that the child making the mud pie puts labour, puts effort into making the mud pie, but this is not part of the capitalist system. The child has not been has not sold her labour for wages. She, she's not a wage slave, nor is she selling the mud pies on the international market. There's no future market in mud pies. However, let's think of a different kind of mud pie, where mud is used as a cosmetic. Mm. There, the worker applying the mud to the face or the body 
has sold her labour power. And it is in a market. And what Marx is always talking about is the social conditions. So of course, there's... A, I mean, if you don't have capitalism, then the whole capitalist relations don't apply. That's right. And, um, you know, but this is not part of how economics are taught, and I'd have to say the word to describe what this is is a lie. Mm. There's no other scientific ex- you know, term to explain this kind of stuff that is peddled by university lecturers to prove that Marx isn't worth consideration. You don't have to refute him. You just come up with these lunatic stories about the mud pie. As I say, I'm not even sure that I can still believe that it's actually being peddled in this way, but I'm reliably assured, I'm reliably assured that that is going the rounds. But there, you know, and, and the point to make, as I, as I said before, is that there is no um, exchange relationship. There is a use value in the mud pie. Um, to the child, because the child enjoys the play. This is a use value, mm. but it's not an exchange value. That's right. It's not like it's not like even the child making sort of lemonade and selling it at the front gate. That's right. That's exchange value. <laughs> you know, you got, you've got to move from use value to exchange value, That's and right. exchange value involves, as I said before, the first bit about exchanging your labour for wages, and then that the capitalist exchange the product of your labour, sells it in a market for a profit realised on the value that you as the wage slave have added to the mud or whatever else it is that you are that you're up there to sell. I might just throw in that if if these people had ever read Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations mm. instead of just referring to it, they would discover that Smith has an example of poor Scots picking up pebbles on the beach to sell them. Now, this is a situation where they are not actually employed. They haven't sold their, their labour power to pick up the pebbles on the beach, but they do then exchange them because, they're, because they've been driven off their land. They don't have any other way to survive, so they are driven to do this. There's not all that much difference, I think, between in, in terms of the activity of making mud pies and picking up pebbles. Uh, but there is an exchange value at, at the other end. Yep. But, you know, they know no more about Adam Smith, who they claim to be their great hero, than they do about Karl Marx when it comes to economics. It's very because sad. Smith, of mm. course, is a great champion of the labour theory of value, yes. which, which they want to throw out. So that's the first of these examples, these extraordinary stories that are put around to supposedly refute the labour theory of value. And we'll get to the end and say a bit why I think labour theory of value is absolutely essential for any understanding of the capitalist system. Mm-hmm. Now, at the other extreme, the Mona Lisa. <laughs> yes, what's that all about? <laughs> well, the other one is the Mona Lisa. They say, well, you know, these same kind of people will say, well, how can you say that the value of the Mona Lisa is connected to the amount of labour that Leonardo and his studio workers put into it. You know, the Mona Lisa is in the Louvre. If the French government went completely bust, they might be compelled to sell it to somebody. But it's not very likely, is it? So let's assume for the moment it does, someone steals it and it goes onto the black market. Uh, 
Um, what would it bring? It's impossible to tell. I would think the bids would have to start at one billion euros. And if we look at the prices that have gone for other works of, of art, um, the Mona Lisa with its reputation would have to be somewhere in the billion euro mark. Mm. And they can point to that. And they say, well, look, that's the price of it. There's no connection between the, the socially necessary costs of the labour that Leonardo and his fellow workers in the studio put in to buying the canvas, the paint and the brushes, anything else they needed, and the, and the labour costs of keeping themselves in food and warmth and clothing, all those things that Marx and Adam Smith say go into the labour that is transferred across into the uh, a product of the labour. So there's this enormous gap between whatever it costs to produce in the first place at its price today. Mm, that's right. So they say, clearly, the labour theory of value can't explain this. And indeed it can't. But it doesn't attempt to. It doesn't need to. Because what Marx is talking about are socially reproducible products. Mm. He's not talking about <coughs> the work of a genius that can only be one of. Yep. Now, it's possible, of course, that Leonardo himself could have made a a second version. And many great painters, when they were doing portraits, were commissioned to do two versions. Oh, might do it and then do a copy of it because the owner, the sitter, wanted to keep it and wanted to send the other one to a friend or a relative or, or a prince somewhere else. Mm. So it was quite common for you know John Paul Rubens, for example, uh, to, to be asked to do that. So there'd be two there. But it's still not mass production. Yep. is still not social labour in the sense that Marx is talking about. He's not concerned about these eccentric uh, uh, activities there. So the fact that there's this enormous gap between whatever the labour costs were in producing the Mona Lisa and the cost of making, you know, of, of what it might bring if it went on to the open market today, that has nothing to do with what Marx is setting out to explain, or mm. what Adam Smith or any of the great classical political economists are set out to explain. Yeah, it's so, just more the pastime of the super-rich as opposed to um, everyday products for use yeah. by workers or people you know, yeah. in general. Well, yeah, indeed. I mean, it is this completely one-off thing that you cannot produce, and therefore the sense of what is socially necessary... That's right has no part in trying to explain that. Mm. However, there is again a connection between the Mona Lisa and socially necessary costs of mass production. Mm. And that is all the postcards that are made yes. of the Mona Lisa. <laughs> yes. Because there, the workers in the printeries who make those postcards have sold their labour power for wages to a capitalist firm. Yes. And the capitalist firm then takes, say, I don't know how many, you know, a million, two million postcards of the Mona Lisa have been made mm. uh, and sells those and makes a profit uh, by selling the postcard that in, embodies a tiny amount, certainly, of, of surplus value. But when you sell enough of them, that makes enough to keep the the business in operation. Mm. So there, 
the contrast that we really have to look at is not the one-off of the Mona Lisa, but at the socially produced Mona Lisa and the social demand and the marketing and the, and the, and the standard capitalist aspects of production and exploitation and the uh, realisation of the profit yep. out of the surplus value. If you don't have that social labour, if you don't have social capital... Um, and, and you know, I've used the phrase social capital, which I've been trying to avoid, but <laughs> it's what Marx uses. Unfortunately, the term social capital has been taken up to mean sort of feel-good relations between individuals. You know, it's become a, you know, entered into that popular debate, which is not what Marx means at all. Mm, it's a different uh, interpretation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, I mean, I you know, we we can't really take Going back to, no. the use and people will use social capital to mean you know, how well people get on with each other. And Marx has a chapter about cooperation yes. in Volume 1 of Capital. It's exactly. not that he doesn't see the significance of people working together. It's just that when he talks about social capital, he's talking about all of capital, not just the individual capitalist yes. and one firm. He's yes. concerned about how capital expands through the whole of the capitalist system. That's mm. what he means by that. And another aspect of the social capital he talks about, or, or you know, he, he takes up, uh, like the essay interpreting today, is the theory of alienation is another one, which is in a way connected because that is in a way exploring the disconnection and the lack of cooperation among people as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, well, it's, I mean, that is immediately, as you know, in there from the very start, yes. that um, that capitalism has these twin effects of bringing people together and of then partly by, by splitting them, by splitting us from our Products. product yep. so that we feel as if the thing we are making is alien to us. Yep. And we be sense of, of this, of our capacities, of our creativity becomes alien right. to us. But this is because, and I, you know, not to go into this in too much detail. No, but we'll talk about it another time. We'll do about that. But the jump word to alienation of... has yep. that double meaning as well. Yeah. It means to be foreign, to exchange to you, but it means the other sense of alienate, which is to uh, sell. And it happens because we've sold our labour power. Yes. So it has this... You know, it's meaning. always for Mark those two things operating at the same time. Mm. So they're the mud pies at one extreme. <laughs> they're no. the Mona Lisa. <laughs> I want to um, get to the wealth of theory, ma'am. I'm dying to get to it. <laughs> top of the other one. Yes. And the third aspect of it is the wealth of nature. Yes. Now that's interesting. This is what we might call the third lie about Marx's labour theory of value, and it's infected the environmental movement very, very much. Now, they hear that Marx says, and they, you know, they hear this at second or third hand, that Marx says that only labour can add value. And that's correct. That's what Marx does say. But we've got to be, pay close attention to what it is he's actually saying. It, only labour can add value. Now, they conclude from this that he is devaluing nature. Uh, now, we've run here, we're talking about how words have two meanings. Well, here, of course, the word value in English has multiple meanings. Mm. We say, what is the value of the Mona Lisa? Well, it has an aesthetic value. 
Mm. Um, um, we can talk about things having moral, ethical values. That's right. And then there's economic values. Mm. And the science of political economy is to distinguish, in part, one of its jobs, is to say we're not talking about the aesthetics, we're not talking about the ethical. We have to specify what are the economic laws that are operating in this circumstance. And what Marx is saying is that Labor does not add value in that economic sense. It does not... Sorry, only Labor adds value to the raw materials or to the semi-finished goods uh, or to the existing capital equipment. Only Labor can do that. What he does say, and I've avoided quoting him um, up to this point to, to prove the point, but as many of our listeners will know, he opens the critique of the Gotha program, which was the program of the German Social Democratic Party in 1875, and he's not very pleased with it. He quotes a sentence from them saying, where they say, Labour is the source of all wealth and all culture. He rejects that totally. Hmm. And what he goes on to say is, Labour is not the source of all wealth. Nature is just as much the source of use values as is Labour, which itself is only the manifestation of a force of nature, human labour power. So he draws a very important distinction between adding value and wealth, between use values, which the world, which natural wealth supplies to us, and the value that are added by human labour to that. There'd be no point in human labour. There wouldn't be any human labour were it not for the wealth of the natural world. Um, and he makes the very important point that we are part of that natural world. That's right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's very important, I think, for people on the left to understand mm. that point about Marx's view of labour and wealth, of use value and exchange value in terms of what we're going to enter into the debate with uh, environmentalists and how to get out of the terrible, um, disastrous situation that the natural world has been pushed into. Because Marx, working on from the German chemist um, Justus von Liebig from 1840, took on the notion that capital had plundered the wealth of nature. And that's something that he and Engels returned to over and over and over again throughout all of their writings. So if we can, if we can sum up. Yep. The labour theory of value, of course, you know, can't be grasped in all its richness in, you know, in a 30-minute radio chat. No, absolutely you know? not. <laughs> so I hope what I've done is to spark enough interest for people who are not familiar with this to take the time to put in the hours to read and to learn more about it. But before closing, we have to ask ourselves, why is this question so important? Why do the intellectual lackeys of the capitalist system go to so much trouble to spread the porkies about the labour theory of value? The answer, I think, is dead simple. Marx's labour theory of value explains how exploitation of wage slaves is the lifeblood of the capitalist system. You have to knock it off. Otherwise, 
people will look at the capitalist system and see it for what it is, this system of exploitation. And the labour theory of value, as Adam Smith and Ricardo made perfectly clear, they did not conceal this. They said the labour theory of value is the basis of exploitation. And they've had to suppress that version of it. And they do it with the mud pie stories, with misunderstanding or mis interpreting the Mona Lisa and people perhaps a bit more innocently but nonetheless wrongly interpret Marx's views about the wealth of the natural world. So they're the three things that I thought we might uh, start up today. The final one for the year in a month's time um, we'll go into a little more adventurous territory but in the meantime I'm going along to have a great time at George Mann's Joe Hill tribute on Thursday here and all of your listeners will, I'm sure, do the same thing when they go to Geelong or to the Trades Hall in a fortnight's time. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Humphrey. Thank you. That was fun. Thank you, Lali. <laughs> Thank bye you. Bye. bye. And that was Humphrey McQueen. Um, he's a freelance journalist. Um, has published books, and I, I keep forgetting to, to inform. Um, listeners about the website Solidarity Breakfast has its own website and all of Humphrey McQueen's contributions are on it so if you want to go back and read some of the stuff that he has um, talked about on Solidarity Breakfast please feel free it's just at three w's dot solidaritybreakfast.org the other people who are on it are, of course, Noah Bessel, who contributes on a fortnightly basis or a monthly basis to uh, the um, my fellow team members, Kim and Annie McLaughlin. And we have other interesting um, links on that website. So all the Ws dot solidaritybreakfast.org. Okay, we've come to the end of the program, and I would like to thank Daniel uh, Nyberg from the Newcastle University for... Um, talking to us about climate change and uh, corporations and capitalism. And his book is, of course, available in all good uh, good bookstores. Or you can just Google it and find it and order it online. Um, and Marcus Harrington, as usual, our regular contributor. Thanks, Marcus. And and absolutely not, um, not least, it's Uncle Kevin. So... We also thank Humphrey for coming on regularly, and today was an interesting one, a fun one with a bit of music. And I'm going to play one of um, Humphrey's favorite musics here as well. It's uh, Phil Oaks, and the other song I played, of course, was Bop Into Parliament. Here we go. And coming on after the song would be Asia Pacific Currents. This is a goodbye from Lalitha Chalaya and Solidarity Breakfast for today. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.